wonder why I'm reading this, because this is the Great Commission, but I'm going to talk to you today about baptisms, plural, and what does water baptism mean? What, what is the meaning behind it? Because the meaning behind water baptism has everything to do with what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross. So let's read this together. Go therefore, Jesus said, and make disciples of all the nations. What's the next word? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And look what he said after that, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you some of the time. Oh, I'm sorry. I read it wrong. It says what? I'm with you at all times, always, even to the end of the age. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God is good all the time. And you can be seated. And thank you so much. What a wonderful time of worship and praise and just coming into the presence of God. Now, I've been sharing with you the last few weeks on things that every Christian should know. It's been my observation that, sadly, a lot of churches, a lot of the pulpits, and I'm not, I love pastors, I'm not coming against pastors, but there has been a drift in the West from really preaching the Word of God. We're getting to a lot of success stuff and motivational stuff. Sometimes you go to church, you feel like you've been in a motivational seminar and not church. We need to get back to what the Bible says. Okay? Now, Jesus commanded all believers in him to be baptized in water. I want you to notice that. Now, let's be clear about a couple of things. Just clarify some stuff. First, Jesus said baptizing them. That word, baptizing, comes from a Greek word, and it's baptizo. And baptizo means to immerse or submerge. To immerse or submerge. In other words, you get totally dunked, totally immersed in water. Now, there's another Greek word. This is the last one I'm going to throw at you. And tekamai. And tekamai means to sprinkle. Now, I want you to notice Jesus didn't say go into all the world sprinkling them. He said, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you were sprinkled, I don't mean to offend you, but you need to be baptized in water. If you're sprinkled. Jesus said, baptize. Now, he, so he taught total immersion in water. He taught to be submerged. Now, if you stop back and, and think about that, just step back and think that Jesus, the Savior of the world, said that everybody who follows me, I want you to go dunk them in water. That sounds strange. What a weird request. He said, follow me. But if you're going to follow me, and and I'm going to be your Savior, and you're going to be my disciple, then I want you to be baptized, totally immersed, totally submerged in water. Why would he do that? Why would he require? I can think of a lot of things that were initiatory, a different kind of initiation into a faith, but dunking them in water and bringing them back up. Why do that? Well, I'm going to answer that today because behind that dunking, that submersion, that immersion in water, behind that is a powerful truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, I want you to notice that in a verse I'm about to read, Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, that baptism, the doctrine of baptism is plural. It's called the doctrine of baptisms. It's plural. 
There's an S on the end of baptism. Listen to this. Hebrews 6.1, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on to perfection, meaning maturity, not laying again the foundation. Now, when he said foundation, it means he's about to show us six foundations that are laid in every Christian life, six foundations of the faith. So he said, let's, don't go, to, uh, let's go on to maturity, not laying these again. First, repentance from dead works. That's the first foundation stone. Second, faith toward God. We talked about that last week. Putting your faith toward God for your salvation through Christ. Third, there it is up there, the doctrine of baptisms. Baptisms. Fourth, laying out of hands. Talking about that next week. Fifth, the resurrection of the dead. And sixth, eternal judgment. Now he said, the implication is, if those six foundation stones are not laid in your life and you don't understand them, you're hindered from going on into spiritual maturity. Let's get these basics out of the way, he's saying. So these are things that every Christian should know and should understand. So baptisms. Well, what is more than water baptism? What other baptisms are there? Well, there's really three of them, and I'm going to real briefly go over the first two and then home in on water baptism. But here's the first one, baptism into the body of Christ. Now listen to this verse, for by one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink into one spirit. Now, here's the amazing thing that happened when you and I came to Christ for our salvation, said, Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart. I turn to you by faith. A miracle happened. We are not talking about a New Year's resolution or rehabilitation or turning over a new leaf. It has nothing to do with your will or mine. It has to do with when you turn to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is sent to come into your heart and live there. And when he does, you experience the miracle of being born again. He gives you a brand new nature. But here's something else he does. He takes you and totally immerses you, totally submerges you into the universal body of Christ where you are instantly made a member of the family of God worldwide. Now, when you hear the word Catholic, Catholic means universal. So the Catholic church really means universal church. But guess what? You don't have to be in the Catholic church to be in the universal church. Anybody who has come to Christ by faith and is washed in the blood of the Lamb and in whom dwells the Spirit of God, and they are now children of God, they have been baptized into the universal body of Christ. So they are all instantly made members and family of one another. We are baptized into one body. And what I like about it is all class distinctions disappear. There are no class distinctions in the body of Christ. He says... There is no Jew nor Greek. I'm going to add some things. There's no male or female, black or white, yellow or red, rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, American or European. It doesn't matter what your national origins are. 
If you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, the Holy Spirit has taken you and baptized you into the body of Christ, so you are made officially a member of God's family worldwide. So that's, that's the first baptism, baptized into the body of Christ. The second one is baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful today for the Holy Spirit. I'm up here today because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus did in my life. And when the Holy Spirit came into my life, it is because of that and what he did inside of me that I even at all gravitated towards preaching and teaching the word of God. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing or some ethereal fog or some idea. The Holy Spirit is a he, a person. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a he, a person. He feels, he thinks, he acts, he has a will. John the Baptist told his followers, after me, one is coming more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Look what John said. I'm baptizing you with water. I'm immersing you. I am submerging you in water in baptism. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When the Messiah comes, he is going to have the authority and power to pour out his spirit upon your life where you aren't just kind of touched by the Holy Spirit, but you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, submerged in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, drenched with the Holy Spirit, covered in the Holy Spirit, overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is so real. It is such a real experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the total immersion of the believer into his presence. The recipient literally becomes drenched in his presence. When the Holy Spirit touches you, you don't, you don't wonder if it happened. You don't hope it happened. You know that it happened because of the power of his genuine presence. We're talking about a tangible, real, feelable, sensible touch presence of a supernatural God in the person of his spirit. This baptism began on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the birthday of the church. And I love reading about this. It says on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. You had Mother Mary up there in the upper room. You had Peter, James, and John, the other disciples up there, and a few other dozen people who had believed in Jesus They were waiting in the upper room, and as they waited and prayed, they'd been there a few days, it says suddenly there was an audio-video presentation on the part of God. Now, I want you to listen to the audio. It says suddenly. I love that word suddenly because you can be in a valley when suddenly God comes through and carries you to the other side. You can need a word of wisdom, and suddenly God gives you that word on which way to go and where to turn. You can feel like you can't take another step and suddenly the power of God breaks loose on your life and you're able to run another mile. God is a God of suddenly. I believe God is often a God of surprises. Has God ever surprised you? He has surprised me. Suddenly, there was a sound. There's the audio. 
There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, a, a rushing mighty wind. There was a sound. Here in Texas in Tornado Alley, we know what a rushing mighty wind sounds like. It is that roar. It is that strong howl. There was a sound, though no wind was blowing, and it only filled the upper room. It filled the house where they were sitting, this sound. Then came the video. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them over their heads, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, look what happened. Jesus had said to them, don't go and preach my word. Don't go teach. Don't go try to minister until the power, the gift I have talked to you about is sent from heaven because you won't be able to do the ministry I've called you to without supernatural enabling. So they waited. And as they waited, suddenly here it came. And it says they were all, every one of them, all 120 of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that word filled comes from a Greek word meaning literally to the max, to the max to total capacity, all that they could handle. Imagine having a glass and just you're putting water in it and you fill it up to the very brim where one more drop and it's going to overflow down the sides. That's how they were filled. They were filled to the max. They were filled to actually where it was spilling over the sides. They were filled to overflowing. They were filled that they could not take anymore. They couldn't put another teaspoon of the Holy Spirit's presence into themselves without feeling like they were going to burst. The Bible says he gives the Spirit without measure. He gave the Holy Spirit to them. He empowered them. He poured it out on them. This this was not the explosion of some philosophical idea. This was an explosion of supernatural power that Jesus poured out on his baby church And those 120 blue-collar workers, primarily blue-collar, simple people, unlearned, uneducated, went out and shook Rome and turned it upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They did it not by might. They did it not by power, but they did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why did God give the Holy Spirit to the church? He gave the Holy Spirit for power to witness for the Lord. That's the first reason. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now notice Jesus connected witnessing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's telling us that when the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer, then when they share Jesus with another in a witnessing context, it's saying that something else is there working with that believer. The power of the Holy Spirit is reaching out through that believer, through his or her words, and touching the person who is listening to their testimony. You will be witnesses. You will be empowered witnesses. You will be anointed witnesses. You will be witnesses who are filled with this Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will bring a supernatural taste and touch to your ministry for him. For instance, I know right now the Holy Spirit is working through me as I preach. I would never step into this pulpit ever if I thought for a second the Holy Spirit would no longer be with me. I know the Holy Spirit is with me when I preach 
because God said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so you can be witnesses for me. So I want you to know, saint of God, dear Christian friend, you have no reason to be ashamed of the Lord or of his cross or of his blood or of his name because when you open your mouth and you share Jesus, you are not alone. You, you have a mighty Holy Spirit working with you. Now, the second reason the Spirit was given was power to win. Power to witness and power to win over the flesh. It says, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. How do we subdue and gain power over our sinful inclinations? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave us power to witness, but also power to live the life he's called us to. The Bible says, let me hear it again. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So we have power over sin, and that power is the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit was given power to pray, power to witness, power to win, and power to pray. See, the Bible says we don't know how to pray as we ought to. The Bible says in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Well, what's our weaknesses? Well, I can testify to you that when I go to the place of prayer, there's a lot of times my mind wanders. I forget what I want to pray about or I can't think of how to pray and I don't know how to pray. And I daydream and I slip off and I say, God, help me to pray. And sometimes I just don't feel like praying. But this is why God gave the Holy Spirit. That's our weakness But the Bible says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans that cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit, living inside of you and me, prays for us according to the will of God. The Bible says the Spirit searches the deep things of man and woman. The Spirit searches and knows exactly what we need. And I think one of the shocks of heaven is going to be when we find out how many times the Spirit of God prayed for us, interceded for us, and God broke through for us and led us and guided us and protected us because of the prayers of the Holy Spirit. See, you may not be a great prayer in and of yourself, but a great prayer lives inside of you. Amen. So the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is to provide power for the Christian walk, power to witness, and a greater understanding of God's Word and power in prayer. Now let me talk about the third baptism, and that's water baptism. So baptism into the body of Christ, baptism in the Holy Spirit, now water baptism. Did you know that New Testament Christians never thought of being saved without being water baptized? If you got saved, you got water baptized. Water baptism doesn't save you, but water baptism testifies of some powerful truth that I'm going to share with you right now. But we find in Bible times, no Christian ever got saved without being water baptized. You remember when Philip left the great revival in Samaria, and Philip was led by the Spirit to leave that revival and go off into the wilderness. And as he went off into the wilderness, he saw an Ethiopian eunuch on a uh, chariot and The Holy Spirit said, join yourself, Philip, to that chariot. He joined himself to the chariot. The eunuch was wondering what it meant in the Bible that he, that the iniquity of us all was laid on him. He was reading Isaiah. 
And Philip said, well, let me help explain that to you. And he explained it to him, and the Ethiopian eunuch got saved. And the first thing out of his mouth was, what does hinder me now to be baptized? And they stopped at the shore of the sea. They went into the water. Philip baptized him. And as soon as that Ethiopian eunuch came up out of the water, it says the Spirit of God caught Philip away, snatched him away. And he was literally raptured or supernaturally moved to another place. And the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. But notice with me, the Spirit did not snatch him away until the eunuch had been baptized. Jesus was baptized in water. He, he set it as a pattern. And when Jesus came up out of the water, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and a voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If Jesus could be water baptized, where are we? When a man named Cornelius and his whole household got saved, it says that Peter, quote, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So over and over again, we see the pattern. You come to Christ, you get saved, you believe in Jesus, your sins are washed away, then you immediately go and become water baptized. Why, why, why the importance of it? What's the big deal? Why, why water baptized? Let me give you the meaning of water baptism. Here it is. First, water baptism is a picture of the burial of our old man. So what do you mean by old man, Jeff? Our old man is the old sin nature we inherited from Adam, and we all got one. The Bible says when Adam fell, his nature fell. His, his, he was corrupted in his nature, and that that fallen nature was visited on the whole human race. Everybody has sin. There is none righteous, no, not one. Nobody had to teach you and me how to sin. We knew how to break God's laws, and we did it naturally because we were born with a sin nature. Every one of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We've all turned aside. We've all gone to our own way. And that's why the Lord had to lay on him the iniquity of us all. That old man, that old sin nature that we inherited from Adam, we need to understand that because of that, we were dead in our sins before we were saved. Because sin brings death. But when we repent of sin and accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, listen to what he does. He quickens us. I could say he lifes us, L-I-F-E-S. He lifes us. He makes us alive. He quickens us because before we're saved, according to the Bible, we're dead. Dead men walking, dead women walking. We change tires. We go to work. We raise families. We make money. We store up a 401k. We live a life on earth. But until we come to Christ, our spirit, our soul is unplugged from the life of God and we are dead. Spiritually dead. But when we come to Christ, listen to what happens. The Holy Spirit of life comes into us and we experience literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, but literally a resurrection from the spiritual dead. We are resurrected. That's why I tell you it's not a New Year's resolution to become a Christian. It's not just accepting some rule book. It's not turning over a new leaf like, like I'm going to quit smoking or I'm going to quit drinking or I'm going to quit whatever. It is receiving a brand new resurrected 
nature. It's a miracle. I'm talking about something that Buddhism will never do for you. Neither will Islam. Neither will transcendental meditation. None of these things will do this for you because only Christ died for your sins and mine on that cross and rose from the dead on our behalf. And there is, I'm sorry to say, well, I'm, I'm really not sorry to say, but even if you're offended, let me just go ahead and say it. There, isn't, there aren't a bunch of different ways to God according to him. I am, listen carefully, I'm not after a clap here. I want you to listen. I am the way, the way, said Jesus. I am the truth. I am the life. And look at what he said. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one. Now, that's what Jesus said, not Jeff. Now, look what happened. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. And water baptism illustrates this truth for us. Water baptism is our testimony to the world that though we were dead in sins, we have been raised to walk in newness of life. When I baptized somebody, and I did a couple of weeks ago, we had a baptism out here, and we're going to have another one next week. When I baptize somebody, here's what I do. I get them in that water, and I look at them, and I say, now, is Jesus Lord of your life? And they say, yes. And I say, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I lower them in the water saying this, buried with him by baptism into his death and raised to walk in the newness of life. Buried with him, raised with him. Can you say that with me? Buried with him, raised with him. Let's try it once more. Buried with him and raised with him. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Do you see the Bible is telling us something that most Christians don't understand? That when we got saved, we were buried with him by baptism into his death? and raised to walk in the newness of life. So the meaning of baptism is, I'm leaving my old life, my old life, my old sinful lifestyle is buried, and I'm raised to walk in a new, resurrected life. That's powerful. Okay? So that, that's the meaning of water baptism. Now, what's the purpose of water baptism? In Romans 6, the first 14 verses, if you read it, and you should, it becomes very, very clear that God does not intend for his children to continue to live a sinful lifestyle. That's what it's saying. Not that we should be sinlessly perfect and never sin. How many of you have sinned since the first of the year? Well, great, but a lot of you just now went ahead and did it because you lied. Not me. You just told a lie, you sin. I'm kidding, sort of. Let me try it again. How many of you have sinned since the first of the year? All right. Thought something, said something, did something. Now watch. 
In the first 14 verses of chapter 6 in Romans, it's very clear we're not to live a sinful lifestyle. That means we are delivered from that old sinful lifestyle where we live to serve sin and not God. Now listen to this powerful verse. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Do you catch that? That old Adam sinful nature was crucified with Jesus on the cross. You say, well, Jeff, how could that be? I don't know. I just know that God did it. And that's the message of the Bible. Now, last time I looked, crucified things die. If you're crucified, you're going to die. Now, it said our old man, our old sinful nature was crucified with him that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So water baptism enables the believer to separate himself from his old man who, according to Scripture, was dead in sin. So I am to know that my old man was crucified on that cross. Therefore, it was killed, that old sin nature. So when I say buried with him by baptism into his death, I'm burying that old man, burying that old life. That's the picture that water baptism gives us. And it means that I am no longer to serve sin. Let's just pretend that we're at a funeral here today. And I don't mean to be macabre, but down here is the casket. And old Joe is in there. He, he died in his old age. And, and a bunch of old Joe's friends are here. His old bar buddies, drinking buddies, running buddies, they're all there. Now, at the end of the funeral, what would you think of his buddies if they came up and said, hey, Joe, come on, we're headed to the bar? You would think that they had lost their minds. Come on, Joe, we're going off again to have a good time. Come on with us. What would somebody finally say? It's okay. He's dead. He can't do that anymore. Exactly. Your old man is dead. Do you get it? So if the devil says, comes to your old man and says, hey, come on, let's go have a good time and sin like we used to, you need to say, you, you don't get it. He's dead. He's dead. There's three key words I'm going to share with you, and then we're going to close. Here's the three key words. In light of everything that God has done for us, in light of the fact that he crucified our old man on the cross, in light of the fact that our old life was buried and we have been raised to live in a resurrected life, if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old has passed away and all is become new. That's the resurrected life. In light of everything God has done, he said, I'm going to give you three words to always remember and live by. And I want you to say them with me, would you? Say, know, reckon, and yield. What are we to know? that our old man has been crucified with Christ and buried in water baptism. It says, knowing this, being convinced of this, certain of this, that our old man was crucified. If he was, then he is. That the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer serve 
the hard taskmaster of sin. We have the power now to say no to sin. And we're to know that. So can you say with me, I know it. Now the second word, reckon. That's easy for Southerners to say. Why don't you say with me, I reckon. But it's not what you think. It's not the way we usually use it. Ah, I reckon. Listen to this. Reckon means count it as true. Count on the fact that because he, he, the old man has been buried, your flesh will never rule over you again. You do not have to sin. Romans 6, 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves, consider it done, that you are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm dead to sin. And when I get water baptized, I testify of that, buried with him by baptism into his death and raised to walk in a brand new resurrected life. Count it done. God has crucified your old sin nature with Jesus Christ. And he was buried with Jesus by baptism into his death. The old man is gone. Third word. So say with me, no, reckon. The third word is yield. Yield or give yourself body, mind, and spirit not to sin, but to God. Listen to what it says. Don't present your members, all the members of your body, all your bodily parts. Do not present them as instruments of unrighteousness for sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So whereas you used to give your body to sinful things, because you didn't know the Lord, he says, now I, by the, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service in light of what he's done for you. And then don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, what he's saying is, once you make a divine presentation of your whole life to God, and here's what a lot of Christians don't do. They say, well, I'm saved. I've got my ticket to fly when the rapture comes. But I'm going to live my life the way I want. That's not Christianity. Christianity is you make a divine presentation of your whole life to God. Because it says you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, and you are not your own. So I beseech you, brethren, present yourself to God. So you come to the Heavenly Father who did all this for you, and you say, Heavenly Father, I'm here to make a presentation. I present all of me, head to toe, all of me to you. In light of what you did for me, I know my old man was crucified. I reckon I don't have to serve sin anymore, and I yield my life to you. There you have normal Christianity. Now, can we stand together for a moment of prayer? Can you say with me, I know it? I reckon it, I yield it. That's the real Christian life. And you won't experience the power of God or Jesus really doing much in you until that's done. So I want to pray over you right now. 
Father, we just come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you that you did a powerful thing on that cross. Not only was Jesus crucified, but our old man, that sin nature, was also crucified. That we no longer have to obey sin. And Lord, we thank you for that today in the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you've ever come to Jesus, all of you here, and said, Lord, I I just, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead for me. And I need to repent of my sin. Don't know if you've ever done that. But perhaps you've not done that. You can do it today. And as soon as you do, he will baptize you into the body of Christ. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And he will change your life. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you want to pray that along with me right where you are, I'm going to ask you to do so. If you need him today, say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on my behalf. to wash away my sins. And you rose from the dead so that I too could be raised from the spiritual dead. I ask you to forgive me. I turn to you in faith. Come into my heart, Lord. I trust you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? God bless you. Put it up high. God bless you. Many, many of you. I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to slip out and just come and stand right in front of me. And I want to have a very special prayer with you before you go today. Would you do that? Just slip out. If Jesus walked up Golgotha's hill, naked and bleeding for you, you can come down to say, I prayed that prayer. I want to meet you here and I want to pray with you. They're coming already. Just slip out and come. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. It's a great joy to step out and say, I prayed that prayer. I need him. You come now from all over this place. I'm going to wait for just a moment and just face me as you come. Everybody in here is, I did it in juvenile home in front of all of my juvenile delinquent buddies. So you can come right now. Take a stand for Jesus. Come on. And we're just going to sing for just a moment. Thank you, Lord.